0: So, Ron, let's kick it into gear with wildcard weekend in the NFL starting Saturday in the early window. Cleveland at Houston. The Browns currently a two-point road favorite, total 44.5. Any bets or leans on your radar as far as this Browns-Texans rematch is concerned?
1: Well, the line was trending really, really close to three. You would have to, I think you can got get a three minus 115 was the best that I would have seen mm-hmm. for Houston at the time. And then started trending back down again. I would have that strong lean of taking that three points just because of my power numbers. But one thing Houston has to do in this game, they have to play better against the pass. I know Stroud didn't play the first time they played, but that doesn't explain 30-something points that they had. They had a big lead in that first meeting, which wasn't that long ago, right? Two, you know, just a couple of weeks ago.
0: Yeah, week sixteen.
1: You know, I want to take Houston. I uh, there's that talk about, oh, but this is Houston's first playoff game. This is their coach's first playoff game. This is Stroud's first playoff game. I would argue that last week was their first playoff game mm-hmm. because there was winner in. you know, that was the that was the time that, of course, they were playing another team, Indianapolis, that was also winner in. but if if they were in that situation where they were the only ones that they would have felt the pressure. But that game came down to the wire. They barely won it. So they've had that pressure. Now the question is, are they good enough? Because they have to make adjustments to their secondary.
0: I would say I'm I'm with you leaning Houston's way as the point spread currently stands. And when we see a two-point home underdog, Ron, you can guess where I'm going here. Mm -hmm. I am looking at Houston in a two-team six-point teaser. The Texans up to plus eight paired with Dallas minus one hosting Green Bay. And to keep it simple here, this is that classic advantage teaser, good at minus 120 or better. And I really do like the Texans leg in this equation. Before lines open for this week's games, I went through the exercise of mapping out what I thought each point spread should be. I thought this one would be pick them or maybe Cleveland, a much you know smaller favorite. Minus two was a small favorite as it is, but maybe minus one for the Browns was about as far as I could go. So I feel like based on that notion of maybe this game should be pick them, It almost feels like getting eight points for the price of six in this teaser. And as you touched on these teams squared off in week 16 in Houston, that's quite recently. The Texans were the short favorite laying two and a half against the Browns before Stroud's concussion kept him out of that one. The Browns ended up closing three against Case Keenum. And of course we have to adjust the Browns up for their blowout win over Houston in that game, as well as a blowout a few days later against the jets. But I think Brown's minus two right now is underselling the gap between Stroud and Keenum and perhaps over-penalizing Houston for a factor you touched on. This being Stroud's first playoff game, Ryan's first playoff game as the coach, and that trend that gets a lot of talk at this time of year. Overall, I think that this game is about a toss-up, so I like taking Houston up to plus eight. With the Dallas leg, I'm admittedly less enthused. If anything, I lean Green Bay at the current point spread of seven. But I see a market making book like Chris Bookmaker shaded toward Dallas minus seven and a half. So it's almost like getting six and a half points for the price of six, taking the Cowboys down to minus one here. And of course, in a teaser, it takes two to tango. I feel like the Cowboys are that best remaining fit on the board to pair with Houston to try to navigate some key numbers here. In the spirit of bankroll management, not loving the Cowboys leg. This is a reduced play for me. I'd call it closer to three quarters or maybe eight tenths of a unit. Ron, any thoughts on that teaser? Look, the Texans and the Cowboys.
1: Well, you'd expect kind of a that both teams will make adjustments because they just played a couple of weeks earlier. The one question I would have for you is, do you worry about all or nothing games being teased? Meaning that losers season is over. We know that. So if Houston gets behind, they may be going for it from their own 17 yard line, you know, with the. Uh, two and a half minutes to go, maybe even with eight and a half minutes to go. They're they're within teaser range, let's say, at that point. But they're taking more chances. Who's ever behind has to take more chances. Now, number one, so that would be my question to you. How do you feel about teases in general where it's all or nothing, where that trailing Mm -hmm. team? But number two, maybe there's a comfort zone if the team you're teasing is the one you like anyway.
0: Yeah, I think to that first point, that is a very valid flag. And I would add to that to quote the late great David Malinsky. he'd often talk about in these winter go home games, if there is a margin and somebody can sense their season's over, they could let go of the rope to use a phrase that Dave would often use, where they know that they're not going to have to go through a grueling week of practice, the coach isn't going to punish them in the days and weeks to come, the season's over, they can kind of check out. So There is this kind of risk when we're talking about this age of the season, looking at teasers. I would say to me that is kind of counterbalanced by the second point you brought up where I, especially in this first leg would look to Houston anyway. And then when we're in the playoffs, one thing with teasers, I like to try to let market efficiency be my friend as much as possible. So throughout, especially the regular season look to bet them later in the week, unless I have a lot of conviction on a number that might get away and move out of teaser territory, And when we're at this stage of this season, the market is about as efficient as it gets. And I think that's reflected in the limits people will see at books that transparently post their limits on things like point spreads and totals for a playoff game versus an early season or mid-season game. So overall, it kind of comes out as a wash to me. I don't necessarily look to play more teasers in the playoffs, but where I see value, the potential flies in the ointment still don't deter me altogether.
1: Yeah, it's a point I I would make uh, might've made later on in our conversation as well. It applies to props too. Um, there's a different mindset in terms of props because your starters are going to play more because basically we're not on load management to use an NBA term, even though I don't follow the NBA. Uh, you know, if, if week 14 and you're banged up and it's a third quarter and you're a little bit behind, uh, and you want to make sure that player is going to be around for week 15, 16, 17, you're going to rest that player. But there there are no resting starters in the playoffs.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And and I think there's one more note here, Hector, in the chat, noting that historically teasing home favorites of minus seven, not profitable for what it's worth. I don't have all the data. I'm not exactly sure what kind of sample size or, or how that's being sliced, but I understand the point. I think in general, I will fully admit that if I were just looking Dallas's way, usually, if you're not in love with a teaser leg, just bet the point spread if you're inclined to get some exposure on that team anyway. In this case, I really do like the Houston leg. The Dallas leg, I'm less enthused by. But let's say a, a teaser, if you're laying minus 120, you need each leg to hit somewhere in the low to mid, you know, 70% range each leg to make it a profitable equation. I think Houston may be a leg that I would like in the mid to high 70% range in terms of how often they come home. Dallas may be a shade lower than the standard break even, but just to get this teaser in play, Houston being so strong, I will admit Dallas is the leg that scares me more. All things considered, keeping bankroll management in mind, not a full go for me, but just something to get what I think to be a net positive in terms of expected value, especially when it comes to the Texans side of things.
1: One of the, Joys of teaser betters, I would think, is that you have one game at a time. So you can make adjustments as right. each game finishes.
0: Absolutely. That's the beauty of the the game that I like. I think kicking off first, we'll we'll have a clear answer on Houston. And then if there's no exposure on Dallas, that might be a bit of relief by the time they kick off against <laughs> Green Bay. So either way, we'll see. Clearly, I've got some trepidation here, not endorsing it as a full go, but I will definitely have some exposure on this teaser. Texans plus eight, Cowboys minus one. Ron, you also touched on props. There's one prop that I've bet for this game that I like a good bit. I want to see what you think here. And that will be Joe Flacco, longest completion over 38 and a half yards at a flat minus 115. Now, typically, I am very wary of props like this where, like, longest completion, longest reception, longest rushing attempt, where the mindset of a lot of casual bettors is hey, all it takes is one play and I can cash. You could theoretically hit this on the first play of the game. That's true. But oftentimes if you're over-reliant on that angle without a sound handicap to support it, you might still be waiting for that play when the clock hits zero at the end of the fourth quarter. So I typically don't like to just say, hey, all it takes is one and what could possibly go wrong? In this case, I think of the perception that a lot of us still have around Joe Flacco is the old man who just recently got up off the couch to return to the NFL. But he's been taking his shots. He started five games for the Browns in the regular season. And his longest completion was over 38 and a half in all five of those games. That, of course, includes the Christmas Eve win the Browns had in Houston, where they're going back on Saturday. And then two stats from Cleve T.A. He gave a great interview on the Football Analytics Show hosted by a friend of the show, Ed Fang. I'd recommend everybody listen to that episode. Flacco, third highest average depth of target in the league this season. Crazy to think about that in 2023-2024. And with Flacco under center, the Browns, number three in the NFL in terms of explosive pass rate. So that bodes well for this prop. And it's not just what Flacco is doing. I also think just from a game script type of standpoint, a bit of a free roll when it comes to volume. The more pass attempts Flacco gets, obviously, the more cracks we get at this. And in that Christmas Eve matchup in Houston, we saw 143 plays from scrimmage. For context, an average game in the NFL is closer to the mid-120s. So a lot of snaps just means more bites at the apple here. And the Browns offense, number one in the league this season in plays per game at 70. They had 75 plays in that week 16 game in Houston. Another stat I heard T.A. mention on Ed's podcast, the Browns pass rate in neutral game states has exploded since they got Flacco under center. So they were about average in terms of pass rate in neutral game states before turning to Flacco. They're among the highest in the NFL right now at throwing the ball when the game is competitive and with the tight spread that we've talked about, I think that implies a lot of neutral game state. So a lot of pass attempts for Flacco here. And he's going to be doing this against a Houston defense that ranks 22nd in the league in EPA per dropback. So not terrible, but certainly not good. And their bottom three in the league against play action. That's a big part of the Browns offense with Flacco. Also I think it's worth noting that for Houston's defense, their top three pass rushers have all missed practice time this week. So a little bit of what the Browns are doing, a little bit of what the game state might allow, a little bit of what the Texans can, or I guess is a better term, can't do defensively. I also like that the environment here in a dome in Houston, weather not going to be a factor like it will be as a major storyline in Kansas City and Buffalo. So bottom line here, I think Flacco's aggression, it is worth noting, makes him high variance. In tight windows, he is prone to putting the ball in very dangerous spots. No surprise if he throws one or perhaps multiple interceptions. But when it comes to open receivers downfield, Flacco still has it. It seems like he's still elite at at least delivering catchable passes in those spots. So for the purposes of this prop, I think it's a fair trade-off to take the bad with the good Ron, Any thoughts on Flacco longest completion over 38 and a half?
1: Um, let me say this, you have done your homework. (laughs) (laughs) Um, anybody who's listening or watching this show, you know, should aspire to do what you did to cover all the angles. So, um, uh, I really think you deserve a lot of compliment for what you just came up with and your rationale. It's not just enough to have a play. Um, You pointed out all these various reasons why you like that play. So I think that's great, and I think that's admirable. And I understand it because Houston generally will force teams to throw. Didn't quite happen last week. Indianapolis surprisingly had a big ground game against Houston. Uh, much to my chagrin, one one of the very few things I got wrong last week was how that game would play out, Houston and Indianapolis. I did not see Indianapolis wanting to run the ball so much. And even though they were successful, it ultimately led to their death. But in this particular game, if you think Flacco is going to throw the ball 35 to 40 times, which certainly I do, that increases the chances automatically that he's going to throw deep. And Houston is weaker against the pass versus the run. So I understand it. I have no problems with it.
0: All right. Well, a lean for you to the Texans against the spread here. Two bets for me, a teaser Houston plus eight paired with Dallas minus one, as well as Flacco longest completion over 38 and a half. Ron, let's move on to the nightcap on Saturday. Uh, let, it's going to be a fridge. I, I should oh, give one ahead.
1: lean on a prop or one something on a prop. Let's
0: hear it. Let's please throw it out.
1: Um, Houston's been sacked a large, uh, Cleveland's been sacked a large number of times, but Joe Flacco has been sacked eight times in five games. So I think we had an artificially inflated sack number. You could get under five and a half plus 120 and the under six and a half, because sacks are really up this year, started out at about 140 and it's creeping up and up and up now. Uh, But I took a little under five and a half and under six and a half to balance out the juice. Because I think Flacco, with all of his experience, he's being sacked 1.6 times per game. Hopefully that bodes well.
0: Yeah, I like that look, because when you mentioned sack rate is up this year, I feel like part of that Sam Howell came to mind immediately. Tommy DeVito, yeah. younger quarterbacks, maybe with nothing to lose, trying to make their imprint on this league. Flacco, for better or worse, maybe part of it is that at his age, with what he's already accomplished and experienced, maybe a little bit of this is self-preservation, but that's perfectly fine for the purposes of this bet. And that may also tie in with the fact that he's not unfamiliar with putting the ball in dangerous positions. But if it means he's not putting his body in as dangerous of a position to him, that may be well worth the trade-off. So with Flacco, I totally get it. And CJ Stroud, I haven't done the full scouting, but I think I've heard others who know the film a lot better than I do have said, he has a really quick release and the way that he processes things. Yes, we've got the angle of a rookie quarterback in his first playoff game, But as much as that could possibly not apply to somebody in this situation, Stroud may be the guy who could be the outlier.
1: Yeah. And I probably wouldn't make the play if Houston wasn't at home under those dome conditions Stroud, more comfort level in this being a rookie uh, going to the dog pound. It might change things a little.
0: All right, great. Well, we have a a side lean and a prop lean from you to tie things together with the first game on wildcard weekend. And now I think we're at a good spot to move on to that likely quite frigid affair. Saturday night, Miami at Kansas City. I hope you have Peacock because that's the only way you're going to be able to watch this Mm -hmm. game. Evidently, we'll see if that carries on beyond this year, uh, depending on how much money the networks want to pay the league to get sweet deals like this. Nevertheless, Kansas City laying four and a half, total 43 and a half. Ron, any initial bets or leans thinking of Dolphins Chiefs?
1: You know, I uh, want to preface this by saying, even if Miami loses this game, I hope the fans and the players understand what a good year this has been for them. To stayed healthy the whole year. Uh, the defense improved under Vic Fangio. Uh, you know They understand what their offense is. Speed galore. The running back that they brought in from A&M. Really good running back. Really fast running back and so on. This is a horrible spot for them. Um, this is a team that saw two more of its starters go down last week. They only... Uh, get You know, the Rams, you talk about the Rams, they, they drafted 14 people this last year. Miami did not have a first round pick due to tampering. They did not have a first round pick the year before due to the Tyreek Hill trade. They've had eight total picks in the last two years. There is no team depth. They need to reset and rebuild during the draft. And unfortunately, this game comes up where they have a lot of injuries and a lot of guys out for the year. The week before, they lost one of their key pass rushers, Bradley Chubb. They lost the lead last week, 14 to 7, due to that punt return, that excellent mm-hmm. punt return. And that China changed the shape of the game, and they have to be a little deflated. They also have six days off. And as hard as I've been on Kansas City all year, not their fault that the NFL gave them a brutal schedule, a negative rest differential, six straight weeks. Uh, Some of us cashed in on that very, very, very nicely during those six weeks. Well, guess what? Last week was a bye week for Kansas City. They were locked into the number three seed. Most of those guys were in street clothes. I took Kansas City at three minus 115, three and a half. I think it was a straight three and a half as the line changed and stuff like that. You have to throw out power ratings in this game, in my opinion, although the power ratings are not that that far off. But Kansas City was not a great team during the year. But this is a reset for them against a team going into cold weather. It's just a bad spot for Miami, and I'll have to live and die by it. But I have a definite opinion in this game.
0: I appreciate the macro level perspective you shared there, because when it comes to this game, I think that it is almost universally agreed upon that this is just a brutal spot for Miami. And that makes it tough to find a lot of value in some of the more conventional markets, trying to identify something here, just one lean in this game. For me, I'm considering longest field goal under 47 and a half yards. As far as I can tell, that's pretty much the standard line for most games. And I think that this game does not fit the standard setting the weather. We're going to look at temperatures around zero degrees and closer to minus 25 with a wind I mean, that's about as extreme as it gets. I think it's an understatement to say that the ball could feel like a brick. And for kickers, that could make distance really tough to come by. I think that might affect decisions that coaches make in certain situations that would normally call for a field goal attempt as well. And then building on what you laid out, I definitely see the blowout potential in this one. So maybe a bit of a free roll on Kansas City as heavily as they've been bet, just building up a big lead, knowing Miami is really banged up short week. They could be literally and figuratively out of their element on Saturday night at Arrowhead. Mm -hmm. And if the chiefs are nursing a big lead in the second half, their priority could become running out the clock and shortening the game. And for the dolphins, if they're facing a big deficit, they might have to go for it on fourth down out of necessity in spots that what other call otherwise call for field goals in more typical game scripts. So, Right now, a pretty strong lean for me to the longest field goal under 47 and a half yards. Ron, any thoughts on that one? What
1: well, makes sense in that weather, you know, what dooms overs in these high scoring game or in these, uh, temperature games at one degree, 10 degrees, whatever it is, is wind. So I don't, I, I know the wind chill brings it into the negative. I'd have to see exactly what the wind is, um, you know the you know Miami's kicker has he kicked in these kinds of conditions before? That's you know that's half of the kicks that are going to be tried, or you know if Miami gets in the field goal range would be by a kicker who may not have kicked it in this weather. So I I, don't, I wouldn't have a problem with that
0: one. Well, speaking of wins, we can have a lot of fun with that potentially when it comes to betting opportunities on Sunday in the first game, the Steelers <laughs> at the Bills, Buffalo laying ten total. A low 35 and a half because that weather, the wind in the forecast has really got this total bet heavily to the under. And it might not be done quite yet. Ron, any better leans when we think Steelers-Bills?
1: Yeah, so I didn't get involved conventionally in this particular game because I have a negative spot for both teams. Part of me, unsubstantiated, just a guess or whatever, Buffalo's been in win or go home mode almost for five weeks now. Remember when they were somewhere around the 11th seed in the AFC? They were 6-6. Six and six. There was not really a pathway. And then all of a sudden there was a pathway because Jacksonville started losing. Denver started losing after they had their little mini crazy winning streak when they weren't really putting up points, but it looked like they were better, which we know that wasn't the case. Cincinnati had already lost and, you know, Joe Burrow and stuff like that. Pittsburgh started to have a little bit of a losing streak. So lo and behold, Buffalo gets in the playoffs. The question I have is, do they exhale now or do they keep the pedal on the mental? Is it human nature now that they got in, they take a deep breath and does that hurt them? By the other token, you have uh, TJ Watt not playing and I want no part of a Pittsburgh team that doesn't have TJ Watt in the lineup because he makes other people better. I, I Really, the only thing I did is what a lot of people did, so I take no credit for that the posted quarterback, uh, number of attempts, number of completions, number of yards, whatever it was at the opener, I took. And you could see them free falling because of the weather. I realized that even if I didn't like that kind of bet, you have to jump ahead of the market because it's not going to go any better. At the worst, you could get out of it if you don't like it and pay juice. But we don't have to worry about playing juice now. We could just decide whether we want a middle or hedge part of it because that line was never going to go higher than what we originally saw.
0: And when it comes to some of those quarterback props, Ron, is there anything at currently available numbers you're seeing where you still like anything to the under or perhaps if things been bet so heavily as word about this forecast has spread so far and wide that maybe you're looking to go back the other way in terms of any specific angles there? Yeah.
1: All the Rudolph props have been bet way out of way out of range now you can't bet anything on mason rudolph you could still get josh allen within a few yards of his total yardage so if you think he won't put the ball in the air as much and i kind of think he, he may not put the ball in the air as much because if you look at their winning streak they trusted james cook they're running back a lot more than you know josh allen josh allen tends to try to win the game all by himself and he's aware of that but he can't quit it It's like anything or whatever. I know that's my fault, but I'm still going to do it. And we saw one or two of those examples, even week 18. So keeping Josh Allen out of harm's way would mean under his passing total. And certainly if they get a lead and they think Pittsburgh cannot beat them offensively, then I would say that's the only one still in range.
0: All right, so we're looking at a, a possible Josh Allen under that could still have some value. Ron, I want to see if you see any value on a couple liens leans I've got for this game. I'll lead off with another teaser, this one channeling our mutual friend, Las Vegas Chris. Looking at Buffalo as part of a three-team 10-point teaser, which is typically good at minus 130 or better. Taking the Bills down to pick them, basically just asking them to win this game pairing them with Cleveland plus eight and green Bay plus 17. So again, this along the lines of LVC, he really knows what he's doing here. Most of the time I'm breaking some rules, trying to navigate some key numbers. And in the case of the bills here, looking to take the clearly superior team at home to essentially just win outright. And with the Browns, I know I lean Houston plus two, but I think the value of crossing up through a touchdown with Cleveland also offers some appeal here. And with the green Bay leg, I would be less surprised if the Packers win this one outright than if the Cowboys blow them out. So I don't mind getting a nice cushion with the Packers. As a disclaimer here, really important to know the house rules with this type of bet. At some books in a three-team 10-point teaser, a push on any leg, so Cleveland plus eight or Green Bay plus 17, would get the whole bet graded as a loss. At other books, the same push on any one leg would get the whole bet graded as a push. So please keep an eye out for favorable house rules and know what you're standing up for if you're going to make a bet like this, Ron. For people with those favorable house rules in place, any thoughts on a three-team ten-point teaser? Buffalo pick 'em, Cleveland plus eight, Green Bay plus a whopping seventeen. Uh,
1: I don't know enough about the strategies for the ten-point teas, other than in cold weather games with lower scoring. Obviously, 10 points carries more weight, in my opinion, especially if you have have the favorite in that particular case. I do have an opinion when it comes to Green Bay and Dallas, and I could see two scenarios developing in that game. And so when we talk to it, you'll probably understand why I wouldn't be crazy about teasing either way in the Green Bay-Dallas game.
0: I think I know where we're going there, and let's get there shortly. I'll just run one more thing by you for this Bills-Steelers matchup. I am also giving strong consideration to betting the yes on a successful two point conversion at plus 450. I'm seeing that mm-hmm. at a leading regulated book and typically again, kind of like the Flacco over bet, betting yes on a prop like this. I'm typically very wary of cause it's so easy just to imagine scenarios where this has happened and have, I think it's the availability bias where we know of these rare cases where two point conversions do happen. We remember those a lot more vividly than the, litany of games where two-point conversions don't happen. They they don't even get attempted, let alone converted successfully. But in this case, another situation where I think the books are pricing this off the charts, to use a David Molinsky term, just looking at the mm-hmm. standard two-point conversion yes-no line given the spread in total versus the pretty unique setting for this game. It could have a lot of parallels to that Patriots Bill's Monday night game a couple years ago where kicking might be untenable. And weather aside, Mike Tomlin is quite the wild card when it comes to occasionally just going for two on a whim anyway. And in a case where it could make sense, I see the element of a free roll where Pittsburgh is down 14 late. They score a touchdown to get within eight. It's well known at this stage that the correct move is to go for two in that situation. So between the weather, the Tomlin wild card, the possibility of the Steelers trying to get in the back door late in the game or make it a one score game and go for two in a spot that would really call for it. I see a few different avenues to this caching and plus 450. It seems like it's quite appealing relative to what I think a fair price would be for this line. Ron, any thoughts on the prospects of potentially seeing a successful two point conversion Sunday in Buffalo?
1: Sounds like plus 450 is higher than normal. I mean, I. I would think it's higher than normal, and maybe it's priced that way because there will be fewer touchdowns. That's right, it's tied thinking. to the total. Yeah, so because of the weather, fewer touchdowns. In the college game, These will there be a two-point conversion is is right now underpriced because teams, University of Oregon is historically, whatever. whenever they score their first touchdown, they go for two, for example. They're, it's from the two-yard line. It's the college game. Uh, There's more yardage, more points usually in college games. We saw it in bowl games a lot. I wouldn't be surprised to see it with a Detroit team or with a Dallas team. And the Pittsburgh Buffalo, I don't know. I think 450 is a nice number. I'm not saying it's a bad play. Uh, I think in general, two-point conversion, will there be a two-point conversion? If they're pricing it the same way this year as they have in previous years, then it's advantage to the player.
0: And I think that's the key here, because if we're talking about the break even probability for this bet, if you think there's a 20% chance of there being a successful two point conversion, that's profitable at this price point. So definitely not saying that it's more likely than not to occur, but all things based on the price, that's a look that I'm very intrigued by. But Ron, you also touched on being intrigued by a couple angles in Packers Cowboys. So let's get there and turn the page over to the NFC now. Cowboys laying seven total 50 and a half. And if I'm reading the tea leaves correctly, it sounds like you could see this one being quite the high variance affair Sunday afternoon in Dallas.
1: Yeah. The first thing is I have a very, I, I did uh, play the overs in the game at 49 and a half. I think it you can still find 50. I looked a little bit. I'm a lot of them are 50 and a half 51. If I remember now, but I think there was still a 50 out there. I just have this, kind of feeling that Jordan Love likes to throw deep. He might have Watson back in the game. Dallas likes to take chances defensively. They you know, they routinely have one or more guys that are up there in the league lead in defensive interceptions. Uh, we know uh, under McCarthy, they seem to have run a faster pace offense. I don't have that in gospel. Maybe you know that is more than I do. Uh, so I kind of see it that way. But I also don't know how to handicap this particular game. Because there are things I like about both teams, there are things I dislike about both teams. So my scenario is that I wouldn't be surprised. I've seen it before, that Dak Prescott throws a perfect 180, 158.3 passer rating, shreds Joe Berry's defense, finally gets Joe Berry. I, I have a lot of relatives and friends who really don't like Joe Berry. And In general, my response to that is Joe Barry doesn't tend to make his teams better in December. His teams, a lot of coaches make their teams better in December. Joe Barry doesn't necessarily do that. So I could see Dallas running away with it. But I could also see another scenario. Jordan Love hits on these plays. Dallas gets tight because it doesn't matter that Dallas won their division. This season is a mitigated, unmitigated disaster if they can't win a playoff game. And in fact expectations are that they're going to the championship game. If they lose to San Francisco or somebody like that in a title game, okay, so be it. But if they don't get to the NFC championship game, I think a lot of people in that organization are going to say, we failed. And it doesn't matter that Mike McCarthy won all these games. There's been no ringing vote of endorsement from Jerry Jones from him. So because of that, I see wide variance in this game. But either way, I'm kind of leaning toward the over.
0: All right, totals not in my wheelhouse. So I like the way you broke down a lean toward the over and something that tends to be more in my wheelhouse that dovetails nicely with your look there would be what I like to think of as the props and hops special, a prop that shortest touchdown under one and a half yards. And from a pure math standpoint, would we have a total this high? That bodes well for the prospects of lots of touchdowns. Lots of touchdowns in turn bodes well for the prospects of at least one one one-yard touchdown. And from a handicapping standpoint here, with the Cowboys, Dak Prescott, a nice dual-threat quarterback down near the goal line. With the Packers, Aaron Jones has really reemerged as a force down the home stretch this season. And the Cowboys' defense last and running back rushing success rate. So if the Packers are near the goal line, shouldn't be too tough to get Aaron Jones in the end zone. Or they could also be a dual threat offense down in that type of situation. Jordan Love playing really well right now. And Matt LaFleur capable of being very creative with his play calling. So we could see either team punch it in from the one should they get there. From a pricing standpoint, this is currently listed at minus 150 at a leading regulated US book. I consider it good to minus 165. So we've got some wiggle room here. I know it sounds like a one yard touchdown is a very specific outcome kind of threading the needle but it happens a lot more than a lot of fans and casual bettors would probably think things like past interference in the end zone can set this up really nicely. Or just the fact that the field tends to get really compressed down near the goal line. So one yard touchdowns, especially with totals in this range, especially with these two teams, I feel like is a look that I'm pretty enthused by on the Sunday prop betting slate Ron, Any thoughts on possibly sprinkling some exposure on that type of prop <laughs> to go along with your look at the over.
1: Um. The only times I've ever bet this is because in the old days, before I got kicked out of a couple of places, I used to get uh, free arbitrage on this play. And I said, "Okay, I don't know what's going to happen between this, but I know I'm getting plus one twenty at this company and minus one forty at the you know or yes. plus you know, whatever it is where I had a twenty cent value." And I said, "Okay, you give me the three hours later, you're going to put some money in my account in one place and not in another, and I'm going to get this money." Uh, So I don't have a feel for that, but I will say both teams can get pretty grabby on the secondary. So you have a good point in terms of you could see a PI in the end zone.
0: Yeah, I will not be shedding a tear if that does indeed transpire in this one. And Ron, I know you seemed fairly neutral on the spread with a lot of the variants in play here. So I won't ask you too much about what you think here. I will close the loop on what I touched on earlier, leaning toward the Packers catching seven. It was a bet for me at seven and a half, but at seven, not going to do it. I made this a five and a half point spread before lines opened. And I have too much respect for the market to make that the sole reason for betting something like this. But I think it's also worth considering insights from people. I really respect such as sharp Clark who made green Bay, his best bet on the move, the line podcast that was at plus seven and a half. So a key half point to consider there, but also Zuma on today's forward progress show, the Packers at plus seven were still his best bet. And a couple of handicapping highlights I took away. Jordan Love showing significant improvement over the course of the season. Clark was really early to identify that as a guest on this show on week 11. He was the first person I heard who was super bullish on Jordan Love, and a lot of people have since followed suit with what Love has shown in recent weeks. And then also considering for the Cowboys, their stats on both sides of the ball, a decent bit inflated by feasting on some weak opposition. They've struggled to step up in class, and I think relative to a lot of teams they faced, Especially trying to defend the Packers' offense, this could represent a step up in class. So, Ron, I know you think it's a high variance affair, but I would say, if anything, lean toward the Packers at the number plus seven.
1: I could see them winning, and I could see them coming in second by a large margin. It's just one of those <laughs> games where if you don't have to bet, you don't bet it.
0: Exactly. Our biggest edge, it's my mantra here, but our biggest edge is better is is that we get to pick and choose our spots. The books have to throw up a line for every game. And I do think, well, I I don't think this is an inherently low variance game. I think you see more variance in the equation than I do here for people who can shop around and find good alt lines. Sometimes there might be too much juice baked in for that to be a plus EV move. But if you want to really lean into the variance and take some alt lines, then that can be a good plan of attack for a matchup like this as well.
1: Yeah. And I think I mentioned that I have an article coming out where I talk about alt lines. This is not a strength of mine. So I don't profess to have wisdom in this area, but it is it has come to my attention that different books might have different alt lines. It's one of those rare cases where you need to shop around because you can get some real good value there. So if you think that you like the Dallas side and you're willing to give a few more points, you could easily get some good plus money. And same thing with Green Bay.
0: All right. Well, let's see how much variance you foresee in another game with a high total. The Rams at the Lions, Detroit currently laying three at minus 115 juice. Total 51 and a half is a consensus number. Ron, first question, as with all the games on this week's slate that I'm going to throw your way. Any bets or leans as far as you're concerned looking at this Rams-Lions matchup?
1: I have no bets on this game. It's a fascinating game for a number of reasons. It's it's not Goff versus Stafford, but it's Goff versus McVeigh mm-hmm. because they had the exit interviews, uh, you know, they talked about what went right, what went wrong, there's a grudge going on, but it's also Stafford versus Detroit. Stafford versus Detroit, you know, that stadium hit the first 10 plus years of his career and so on. A lot of variables. I almost I would probably be inclined to lean at three and a half, but we're not seeing three and a half right now. I think it's much closer to a solid three, if I'm correct. I've looked at it from time to time. I'd probably Mm -hmm. rather have three and a half points than do anything else in this game, but I wouldn't be comfortable either way. It's just one of those games that I think whichever quarterback just doesn't have it. We've seen occasionally Stafford with multi-interception games. We've also seen Goff occasionally with multi-interception games. I think both teams are going to try to establish the run. And there's good reason for both of them to try to do that because Sean McVay of the Rams, he's relied on this one running back, Karen Williams, who's really carried the load. And what Detroit has done managing their rookie Gibbs workload is for this reason, to get and do something in the playoffs, not to overuse them before they get to the playoffs. And the one-two punch with Montgomery and Gibbs, I I think these teams are better off establishing the run in this game.
0: All right, well, if teams are looking to establish the run and they're looking to do so near the goal line, I will not be disappointed because I'm going to double dip here with that props and hop special. This is another game. Regular listeners could have guessed it given the total where I do like the shortest touchdown under one and a half yards, similar handicap to Packers Cowboys. So won't belabor the point too much there. We'll note that this one with an even higher total does stand out a nice bit. And the Rams is a team not as appealing for a bet like this. They do have a strong ground game with Kyron Williams, but sometimes McBay can take chip shot field goals where it's probably a better move to go for it on fourth down. On the flip side, though, the Lions, I think, are the most appealing team of all for a bet like this because their fourth down aggression is off the charts, often in a good way, not talking about going for two from the seven-yard line, although I still do think there's a decent possibility that Campbell would have called a timeout had the Cowboys not jumped offside. But getting back on track with this bet, I can easily foresee a scenario where it's fourth and two at the Rams 35, and in a lot of situations, teams might go for a 53-yard field goal attempt, And the Lions would opt to go for it on that fourth down. And that same type of situation for them could lead to a goal to go situation on that same drive. And should the Lions get down near the goal line? I really like that they have a stout offensive line. And Ben Johnson's creativity is a sight to behold. Future Chargers had coach Ben Johnson, if all goes well, (laughs) by the way. So I'm currently seeing this one priced at minus 155 at a leading regulated book. I also consider it good up to minus 165 as with that Packers-Cowboys look at this same prop. Ron, you already told us what you think about this prop in general in the last game, so we can keep it nice and short. But anything based on this handicap that has you thinking any differently than you did for the same look at that Packers-Cowboys game, in this case pertaining to Rams-Lions.
1: So I, you know, I misjudged where you were going to go with the prop. I was going to say I hit it, I got it. He's going to go Detroit under one and a half field goals, but uh, hmm. that's not what you did. But that might have um, been even thinking, better. You've got me that, thinking
0: now. Yeah. yeah. We'll put that I into said, the what if,
1: what if he doesn't want to go for field goals? Maybe, maybe all these fourth down attempts will lead to fewer field goal attempts. Now, in high, hmm. sometimes in low scoring games, you get more field goals because they're not good inside the twenty. It's kind of a mm-hmm. misnomer thing. Uh, I don't know what their track record is, but I will tell you this because I did this research. The Rams special teams, it's a liability for them. That's a real problem for them. They they attempted 43 field goals, and they were among the worst at hitting those field goals. They were under 75% for one kicker, under 75% for the other. That's not good in today's NFL standards. The Detroit Lions attempted 21 field goals for the whole year. That might Mm. be the lowest in the entire league if if you take out, you know, maybe some of the teams that couldn't score that well. But, you know, for as many points as the Lions put up to attempt only 21 field goals, pretty interesting, 19 of 21.
0: All right, I'm going to have to give this a, a good look and see if I can shop around for a good price on that Lions field goal total under one and a half. I think that's an even stronger handicap than anything I could bring to the table for the shortest touchdown prop. So some homework to do on my part after this recording, Ron, one more bet that I want to run by you here. I'm going to have some healthy exposure on. I'm looking at the Rams in the third quarter plus half a point. So a derivative here, Rams third quarter plus half a point, seeing it available right now at minus 135. And I think we've got some wiggle room here. I consider it good to minus 150. sounds like a lot of juice to lay for a derivative like this perhaps, but. When we're talking about a sample size of a quarter, half a point can really loom large. A lot of quarters can just end up with each team scoring the same amount of points or both teams not scoring at all. I don't think we're going to see a scoreless third quarter (laughs) in Detroit on Sunday night, but that half point could still loom large here. And what I think will come into play, something you touched on, Sean McVay's familiarity with Jared Goff. I think from the outset of the game, the Lions can try to keep the Rams on their toes, but for... Even a mind such as Ben Johnson's. Detroit can only get so creative with its game plan, especially with Sam Laporta's status in doubt. So I expect the Rams to adjust to any wrinkles and exploit that familiarity factor coming out of halftime. I lean Rams plus three for the full game, but as you touched on when three and a half were out there, the best of the number is so far gone. I think we're better off with this angle. So, Ron, any thoughts at this derivative look? Rams third quarter plus half a point, available now at minus 135, perhaps good up to minus 150.
1: Yeah, I I think you have to weigh in the the variable that what if they don't receive the third quarter kickoff? Is that a 50-50? I don't know their coin toss records or or what, what teams do or don't do. If you have that information, all that's I can great say there is level. that it is
0: not 50-50.
1: Okay. Okay. Well, that's interesting. Because at 50-50, you have to weigh that into the equation. You would figure in a high-scoring game, the team with the most opportunities in any one quarter is more likely to score more points. That's just a given. Um, I think plus a half is uh, you'd always look plus a half. I don't think you'd ever give a half in this kind of competitive nature, but I don't have a particular opinion one way or another. I assume that you've done a lot more research on this than I have.
0: I have, and I try to share as much as I can on the show. Uh, some things need to remain privileged to a certain extent, but I think you, uh, you kind of alluded to something that could really be um, a nice feather in the cap of that handicap for anybody interested in a Rams third quarter look, catching half a point. So, okay. That
1: case closed there. there. And all the things that I've shared over my 130 years on this planet Earth, there's still one I don't share. So it's fair.
0: all right i'll see what i can tease out of you uh, after we end the stream and and we're off the record so to speak but we've still got one game to get to on wild card weekend the eagles at the bucks on monday night philadelphia laying a flat three at a lot of books total 43 and a half ron any better leans for this one
1: i speculated in this game because i have no idea really what i want to do in this game i just know my power ratings point me to tampa And Mm -hmm. the worst case scenario is I could get off my Tampa plus three bet. The best case scenario is that a lot of players, including, including quarterback hurts find We found out that he hasn't practiced a bet so far it's Thursday. I wouldn't have expected him to practice Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday. You know, what happens if he's announced out of the game and Marcus Mariota takes over, you know, this line takes a nosedive, you know, the one area that concerns me, you could speak to this, I'm gonna ask Chris the same question I think I've already asked him before, is that the books, by by hanging a three, Philly minus three, in a situation where everybody knows Philly hasn't played well, the books are telling you, we want Tampa money. And that scares me a little bit, to be honest. Uh, Yeah, I can't go against the power ratings. I think Tampa has enough veterans on the roster, both offensively and defensively, that they know what it's like to be in the playoffs. They've been in the playoffs just as much as Philly has been in the playoffs between Brady and this year as well. Uh, So I like the value, but I'm just scared that they're hanging a number for a reason.
0: I hear you about something maybe being a little suspicious about this number, but when it comes to the books wanting certain action over time, maybe it's the the people that I've come to trust and listen to. I am much less leery of what the books want, And much more suspicious of, okay, who are betters that might not have a public profile, that might not be putting things out there, and what are they doing to shape the market in a certain way? I think a lot of times books get a lot of credit. People love to say Vegas knows, when in reality, it's the sharpest betters in the world, the people with the most money who know what they're doing. Those are the ones who know. I think the good books, like a a circa kind of philosophy, to quote Spanky if I'm getting it right, hang a line, take a hit, and just let the number get beat into place by betters who have a clue about all this. So when I saw Philly get bet up from minus two and a half to minus three, that did definitely raise an eyebrow. All things considered, I am going to take the plunge. I already have taken the plunge on Tampa plus the three and I would endorse that as a bet worth making right now. I think something I go back to as part of my process thinking about curation oftentimes is my best form of creation. A lot of the betters I respect to have shared similar sentiments. Cleve TA on the football analytics show. Suma on forward progress. Rob Cozzolo with his best bet on forward progress, all on the bucks, plus the points. Rob noted he considers this good. I think up to minus minus one eighteen. I think that makes sense. A lot of books maybe consider minus 115 the cutoff if they would then jump to minus 120 as the next tick on the spread. Looking at the bucks here, some of these handicapping highlights, you touched on it a bit. Philly largely popped propped up by their priors. I think their current health, however, is a big red flag. At quarterback, the most important position on the field, Jalen Hurts, that injured middle finger on his throwing hand, said earlier today he hasn't thrown a ball yet this week. Cluster injuries at wide receiver. A.J. Brown injured his knee last week at the Giants. Likely to go, but quite possibly going to be limited. And I think Devontae Smith could really be the limited receiver for the Eagles as he's looking to make his return from a high ankle sprain suffered quite recently in week 17. So I do expect everyone to play. I just don't expect them all to be playing at 100%. And I think that's one of the last remaining market inefficiencies when we're talking full game point spreads in the NFL. A lot of people treat in or out as a binary, 100% or zero that you're going to get from somebody. And I think that when we can price in limitations for players who are playing through injury, that's where I get to a lot more value on Tampa at the king of key numbers in that plus three. And the Eagles injuries, by the way, not just limited to their offense. Darius Slay, a key member of their secondary, banged up. Again, I think he's going to go, but just not at 100%. And by the way, Matt Patricia, not helping matters since taking over as defensive coordinator for Philadelphia. In fairness for Tampa Bay, Baker Mayfield, their most important player, has also been hobbled lately. So, of course, that is absolutely worth monitoring. But otherwise, it's a pretty clean bill of health for the Bucs. One more factor yeah. here beyond all the injuries. Oh, jump in on the health front before I go any further here. Oh, no,
1: I was just going to say, well, I mean, we're we're both in it because we see value. Uh, I'm just not plunging, you know, with, all, with two hands, every, all my chips on the table. I just have a portion of my chips on the table thinking that I may get the best of the number when everything settles because of the injuries you're talking about.
0: Yeah, for sure, especially when we're talking full game spreads in the playoffs. I mean, anybody who's looking to unload on anything or thinks that they can uncover a lock in this type of market, uh, that's a bit overzealous to me. So I think it's definitely worth preaching bankroll management just because I'm trying to make the best case I can for betting Tampa Bay doesn't mean betting a penny more than you can yeah. afford to lose if the Eagles win this one going away. Yeah, yeah, no problem with note- that.
1: The only, lock, the only lock I know is Drew Lock. <laughs> there we go. Is he still in the league? Yeah, he's with Seattle, right? You know, he he won them a game. Oh, while oh that's right. know yeah. Smith was out. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Okay, yes, that epic comeback. Speaking of the Eagles, um, by the way, with with regard to this handicap to close the loop here, the Eagles' point differential on the season plus five. Yeah, that's the second worst of any playoff team. Pittsburgh. Go figure. The Steelers' negative point differential weaselled their way into the playoffs. But with the Eagles having a pretty meager point differential for a playoff team, it's not necessarily a fluke. They've got a lot of injuries now, but over the course of the regular season, they were generally a fairly healthy team, had a pretty soft strength of schedule. So it's pretty surprising that as dominant as they were last year, again, a lot of those priors seem to be propping up the Eagles right now. But in reality, what we've seen over the course of this season, and especially more recently, telling a different story. So overall, this isn't me saying Tampa Bay is necessarily any good. I'm just not sure the Eagles are all that much better. Because if we look at this spread and factor in home field advantage, we're basically being told that the Eagles are four to four and a half points better than the Bucs. I just really struggle to see that big of a gap between these two teams at this stage.
1: I I think a lot of us, myself included, waited for the the Eagles who had a slow start and were not winning by margin earlier in the year to become the 2022 Eagles. And at some point by the end of November and December, we had to realize, hopefully most people realize, but I don't think most people realize that the Eagles were not the 2022 Eagles. They were the 2023 Eagles. So I, I think the name on the jersey got them a little bit more points than or a little bit more hype than they really deserved, because in the end, when you have that point differential, you're you're not an 11-16. Your, your record, something is off, and that's a Pythagorean thing for next year, but meanwhile, for this year, uh, something's still off, and we'll find out if they're one and done.
0: Well, from the name on the front of the jersey to the name on the back of the jersey, Ron, I've got to lean on a player prop I want to run by you for this one. And it is pending pricing and availability. That's because we're still waiting for full confirmation that Devontae Smith is a go for this one. If and when that's confirmed, which I expect it to be confirmed between this recording and the game kicking off, I'm looking at a split ticket on Smith receiving yards under and reception yards under. And I'll give a hat tip here to Hitman on forward progress today. He spoke to Smith really rushing back from a high ankle sprain suffered just two weeks ago. And Smith has a really slight frame to begin with when we're talking about an NFL athlete. And he relies a lot on his quickness, getting out of breaks. An injury like this could really magnify some limitations for him. Plus, we've already touched on it. Jalen Hurts' ability to deliver accurate passes is also a big question mark right now. So moving on from the handicap to the pricing I'm anticipating, receiving yards for Smith closed in the mid50s and the games leading up to his injury my initial thought given this situation I'd be inclined to play his receiving yards under call it good anywhere down to 44 and a half so he'd need 45 to beat us here as far as receptions go he's closed four and a half over under in the range of flat minus 115 vig in most games leading up to the injury my initial thought here receptions under. Good at that same four and a half number, but I would lay up to, I think, minus 145 here. So waiting to see what eventually gets posted for Smith. Ironically, Ron, I think last time you were on this show, I was also eyeing an Eagles player prop to the under that was pending availability at the time of the show. That was yeah. a Jalen Hurts rushing yards under back in week eight. Fortunately, yeah. that was a rocking chair winner. Fingers crossed we can see the same with Devonte Smith here. Any thoughts on that look on the split ticket Smith receiving yards and receptions to the under?
1: Yeah, I believe that show produced a lot of prop winners. So, you know, good analysis again on your part. Um, Yeah, we haven't seen numbers. I haven't seen numbers on Smith. I would think it's contingent on who else is playing because let's say A.J. Brown doesn't go. Then Smith is going to get a lot more targets. Maybe his number would be punched up for for receiving yards, but he he may catch a lot of these short passes. So I need to see exactly who's going. But I would think with Hertz's condition, how far he could throw the ball, how much time he wanted, you know, does he want to get sacked? Does he want to throw quicker? Uh, I would think the receiving yards probably low, unless you think he's going to break a big one. You can always lose a receiving yard under prop mm-hmm. just by one big throw. I know that's a danger for people like me who play a lot of under props. Uh, but I would be tempted to say, yeah, if all, if everybody goes, then Smith makes sense for an under in both directions.
0: I will also add to that as a macro point, you kind of gave the counter to my thought that I'm often wary of playing like the Flacco longest completion over because of that notion. All it takes is one that can sound very enticing, but in the long run, it's not necessarily plus EV just for that reason alone. I think to your point, it can give people trepidation to place a bet knowing that, okay, on the first play of the game, this could lose. If the Eagles have a touchback, they get the ball at their own 25, and there's a 75-yarder to Smith. I mean, we saw the Texans open up with a 75-yarder last Saturday night at Indy. If we see something like that, your bet goes up in flames the second the game starts. I know that's no fun. I know that it's often not a ton of fun rooting against human achievement, but I also think that that kind of psychological obstacle that a lot of people wrestle with and ultimately can't get to the window because of can give a lot of value to betters who are willing to suck it up, knowing that sometimes it's going to get blown up right out of the gate. But more often than not, if you just let time and the law of averages do its thing, if there's value on this, yes, it could go right in a hurry, but it could also be, you know, a rocking chair winner and we wouldn't even have to sweat it come the fourth quarter a lot of times. So a bit of a mental game there, but I try to account for that and at the same time not let it overpower too much of the rest of the handicapping process. Is that kind of what you try to balance as well on your end? I count on
1: people playing overs because it gives more value to the under. And you're exactly right. If you lose a play, it's quick and it's painless.
0: All right. Well, hopefully we've got some winners and uh, there won't be too much pain there. Before I get to a rundown of our week 18 excuse me, our wildcard weekend portfolio. I guess it would be week 19 if we were still keeping track in that sense. Do want to issue a weekly reminder to the audience that I'm partnering with a team over at right angle sports in an affiliate capacity this season. I know the NFL season is winding down, but college basketball in full swing, and that's where they've really got an unparalleled track record of success. So no obligation whatsoever. But if you're interested in checking out what right angle sports has to offer, you can support Props and Hops by supporting the team over at Right Angle Sports. I've built a custom link you can check out to do so, tinyurl.com RASpicks. Now, Ron, coming out of that little read, this is typically the part of the show where I would give a solo read of a rapid-fire rundown for picks constituting our portfolio for the week. I'm not exactly sure where you drew the line on some of these looks between a bet and a lean. I would like to just focus on the bets here and people can listen to everything earlier on to get full context on these bets as well as any leans. I'm wondering if there was a look perhaps at a Josh Allen prop, maybe the Packers Cowboys total to the over, perhaps Tampa Bay plus three in any of those areas, anything that you do consider firmly bettable right now?
1: Yeah. So in terms of Firmly bettable right now. I'm, I'm. I would still. Are you talking props or if you're talking games too? I would. All of the I above. would still go. Yeah. I. I would still recommend Casey at four or less, and I know it's mostly four and a half. You might find a straight four somewhere. So, uh, even though obviously it's better at three, we know that. But I have a firm conviction on that. I had I not seen the three, and it had it been four, I would have played the four. So I would endorse that. As far as the props, I'm um, have to look and see where I wrote wrote these things down.
0: Oh good. I will try to do some real-time research as well. I know when we were talking, Josh Allen, the numbers have moved like crazy based on the weather. So it seems like don't just blindly bet everything to the under-end Steelers bills now because we know that there's going to be some wind. Yeah. But it's it mostly like might still see some on the bone with Josh Allen.
1: Yeah, it's, it's mostly gonna be too late, in my opinion, on that particular one. Um, I have a higher juice prop that we didn't talk about, but it's for the mm-hmm. same reason that I laid out um Earlier when we talked about how starters are going to play longer. So with Mm -hmm. the assumption that Cleveland's that Amari Cooper is playing, I assume he's playing. I mean, why wouldn't he play at this particular point?
0: The game of his life against the Texans a couple of weeks ago.
1: Wide receiver Bell, he had four catches last week, but that was an outlier because he was about the only starter that was there. Um, You'd have to still lay at this point. You're going to have to lay 160, but I would go under two and a half catches for Bell.
0: All right, we're talking DeAnthony Bell here. If I've got that right, um, I wish I knew I'm just asking because the, I, I'm shopping around and I'm seeing touchdown props widely available. I'm not seeing reception totals yet, but it sounds like for those who can shop, this is out there. So you said under two and a half receptions, and what was the price cutoff that you shared? I think you
1: should cut it off at around
0: 160, and and
1: it's trending where you may not be able to find 160 anymore. So I hesitate. I, I think I saw 160 about midway this afternoon, but you have to shop around. It depends because a lot of places now charge an awful lot for uh, for these props. You're not getting 15-cent spreads anymore.
0: Got it. And thank you, Hector, in the chat, David Bell. I shows how much I know about the Cleveland Browns. Yeah, David Bell. Chart. Okay, thank here we you. go. Receptions, that is more widely available. Yeah, two and a half okay, there are still some minus 160s out there, but yeah, I'm seeing this also as high as minus 189 at a book that's known to take a bet in this market. So as with everything, can't preach shopping around enough, but especially in props where it's not as easy for books to copy each other, where you can poke around. I'm still seeing several minus 160s on the table. Um, any any Room, of course, seeing a lot of books at, at the range of minus 165 or minus 170. Where would you say you're yeah. drawing the line here on David Bell receptions under two and a half?
1: Well, everything is ROI. So the first thing you have to mm-hmm. do is how many times is he going to catch one pass? How many times is he going to catch two, three, whatever? So in my estimation, to be honest, <laughs> I, I think for him to catch three or more passes where you would lose the bet is realistically one out of four times, probably even worse mm-hmm. than that. So if you're going to win the bet three times and lose the bet one time. Then the true proper line on that for my purposes would be minus 300.
0: So well, okay, so just, even, I mean, in yeah, that everybody sense, I know decides
1: you're... their own pain point, but um, I sure. just said, you know, how many, it, it's like when we talked about draft props, and I don't like those minus 500s or whatever, because you lose it once you feel sick on the minus whatever. I'd much rather have pluses or back to the minus 115 or whatever. I seldom recommend more than minus 160, but I think we got a favorable price in this game primarily because Bell had a good showing week 18 when everybody else didn't play.
0: And I really like the point in your handicap about a lot of the starters playing more in games like this. Every team is fully motivated. So with guys like Amari Cooper being on the field more, that inherently will play a role in diminishing opportunity for receivers like Bell, guys who are further down the depth chart. So I think I also heard Hitman earlier today mentioned that when he bets props in the playoffs, he's often looking at guys like this because for the known commodities, books have been pricing, receiving yard totals, reception totals for the likes of Amari Cooper, C.D. Lamb, and all the superstars all year long. They, right. They're not going to, even with their openers, they're not going to be that far off. But when we move down the depth chart and it gets more difficult for books to price things properly, that means there's a lot more opportunity a lot of the time for us as betters
1: snap, snap count. I think it is com. You could get everybody's snap count week by week by week. So if anybody, uh, you know, wants to look up how much David Bell played every, every, uh, I'm making sure that it is, it's, it's uh football guys is the name, but you can get it just by snap counts. Mm. So it's a, it's a valuable resource. I like to look at it when I look at running backs. I want to know how they're dividing it up, if it's a timeshare running back situation. It also tells you how many – reset. Uh, you can get counts on how many times the receiver has been thrown to, but it's nice to look at it week by week by week so you can see progressions.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, if I were better at multitasking, I would already be down on this, but I'm just going to make uh, – <laughs> Clear note to myself to do so as soon as we wrap up recording. David Bell under two and a half receptions, good in the range of minus 160. But consider there to be a bit of wiggle room here, given that Ron's true price is all the way up at minus 300. The juice isn't going to get that high, but but shop around and minus 160s are still out there. And once again, Hector, thank you for weighing in in the chat because I was hopelessly flailing trying to find lines for somebody named DeAnthony Bell. He's on the Browns <laughs> or the Texans, but David Bell is our guy here under two and a half. And nice. I'm going to be much quicker running through my bets this week. Again, a lot of liens earlier on in the show with some context. If you want to go back and listen to the game by game rundown, but as far as bets go, one side right now that I think is actionable Tampa Bay plus three hosting Philadelphia, a two team teaser, Houston plus eight paired with Dallas minus one, good up to minus 120 in VIG. And in the spirit of bankroll management, cap that at eight tenths of a unit. The Houston leg is great, the Dallas leg, not as much, but. Still, like a look at some exposure there. As far as props go, three of them Joe Flacco, longest completion, over 38 and a half yards, good to a flat minus 115. And then two shortest touchdown props. This shows bread and butter over the years. First up, Green Bay Dallas, shortest touchdown, under one and a half yards, currently available at minus 150, good to minus 165. And Rams Lions, shortest touchdown, also under one and a half yards currently available at minus 155. Consider that good to minus 165 as well. Last but not least, one derivative, Rams third quarter plus half a point, currently available at minus 135. Consider that one good up to minus 150.